0: From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. You're listening. You're listening. you listening. listening to Terra Informa. Music has a strong ability to communicate complex topics and emotions. For this reason, music is seen as an effective medium to advocate for social change. In effect, any idea that seeks to alter the course of human history. It's no surprise, then, that environmentalism has found itself woven in a significant number of musical works produced in the last 50 or 60 odd years. After all, the climate crisis defines this moment in time And without immediate action, climate change represents a global threat to the continuation of human civilization. But let's take a step back for a second. For most people, who or what comes to mind at the mention of musical environmentalism? Perhaps Canadian singer-songwriter Joni Mitchell and her 1970s hit Big Yellow Taxi. Or maybe the likes of Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger, or Malvina Reynolds with their prolific careers in folk music or maybe contemporary artists like Bob Dylan, Neil Young, U2, or Radiohead. The most glaring observation across these examples is that popular musical environmentalism reflects what Timo Mueller and Elaine Philippe Duran call the pale of white environmentalism, and to a lesser extent it also highlights the oversized representation of folk and folk rock in the realm of musical environmentalism. So today on Terranforma, I want to dive into the underrepresented and the underrecognized the people and genres who remain situated in the background of a wide body of musical works which touch on environmentalism. My name is Jacinta Royangeza, and I'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental news, stories, and ideas. Before we begin this episode, I would like to acknowledge that this episode was produced on Treaty 6 territory in Amiskachewa Skygan. Beaver Hills House, or so-called Edmonton, were broadcasting from unrecognized Papa's Chase Cree territory. The Papa's Chase Cree were displaced following consistent efforts from local officials, like Frank Oliver, to discredit the legitimacy of their treaty right to this territory and to reserve number 136, now South Edmonton. Not confined to history, this region is also the present homelands of many First Peoples, who build their lives here pursue livelihoods, and gather together. In so-called Edmonton, this includes the Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, and Dene. For this episode's guest, who lives in so-called Seattle, this includes the Coast Salish Peoples. Wherever you're listening from, we ask you to consider whose version of history informs your understanding of the land you're on. This episode begins with a discussion about the lack of representation for Black musicians whose work engages with a variety of environmental themes. I chose this particular focus for this episode because it's one that resonates with me most as a Black woman. But there are many other racialized communities whose contributions to musical environmentalism are not being covered by this focus. We invite you to seek out and support their work. This week we're diving into the underrepresented and the underrecognized, the people and genres who many people don't think about when considering environmentalism and music. To start today's episode, I'm bringing you my conversation with Rashina Fountain, who I'll let introduce herself in her own words.
1: My name is Rashina Fountain. My pronouns are she/her. I am a poet an essayist and an educator from originally from chicago but i now live in seattle Um, and so i am a writer uh, by trade i would say but i kind of took a detour on my writing career and i did detour Um, and i also have an environmental background as well so i have a, a master of education in urban environmental education so um, a lot of what I do is um, mixing that creative background, that writing background, with a lot of um, ecology um, and science, um, because I have that, that um, interdisciplinary experience.
0: So the theme of this episode is environmentalism in music. And so could I ask you, when you think about environmentalism in music or music with environmental themes, what comes to mind to you?
1: Yeah. um, Environmentalism and music is something that gets me super excited. Um, It is something I've been thinking a lot about um, lately, and I think that maybe I've been thinking about longer than I thought. You know, so I think of, when I think of it, um, I think of uh, blues. Um, I think of um, specific songs or Negro spirituals a lot. I grew up in the church, the black church. So uh, my family is in the black Pentecostal tradition. Um, they are part of the great migration. Um, and so um, I spent a lot of time um, growing up uh, singing Negro spirituals. Uh, and uh, being in church and being around outdoor revivals and things like that. So um, I would say that that's kind of like my my early exposure to like music um, and environmentalism or music in, um, with environmental themes. But uh, if I think more recently, Uh, I would say uh, one of the songs that I think about that really encapsulates this relationship with nature and music for me is like Marvin Gaye's like Mercy Mercy Me. Um, And it's also called The Ecology. Um, And that's a song that I I like to think about um, when I'm thinking about environmentalism and music.
0: So, you mentioned Marvin Gaye's Mercy, Mercy, Me, the Ecology, and Blues and Negro Spirituals, which I think would be fair to say have uniquely Black American histories. Um, but when others think about environmentalism and music, they're thinking about the Bob Dylans or the Joni Mitchells of the world. So, why do you think that the images invoked by others are primarily white?
1: Yeah, um, there, I I feel like I could go many ways in answering that. Um, For one, uh, if we look at the history of uh, music and the music industry in general and erasure, um, that's one route I could go, right? So a lot of artists, like some of the early blues artists like Robert Johnson, who is said to be like the the father of like uh, Mississippi Delta blues, um, you know, They didn't really have the exposure that a lot of the white artists had. But a lot of those white artists did have, were influenced by some of these early blues musicians and early folk musicians that didn't have um, exposure or, you know, were erased or who saw, you know, for many reasons because of racism. Um, And so that's one route I could go. Um, But also, I think when we think about environmentalism in general, or not me, but just the the ethos within um, society, that it is white, right? It is like um, people thinking about uh, protests and uh, maybe people uh, being tied to trees or, you know, tying themselves to trees to save them and things like that. And so um, I will say that a lot of early, what was seen as environmentalism uh, was shown as that, you know, shown as uh, this kind of white, kind of um, free, kind of pristine um, relationship with nature. And so uh, when you talk about Marvin Gaye's Mercy, Mercy Me, right? Um, So that song specifically, right, is talking about environmental degradation. Right is talking about um, a lot of a lot of issues that um, disproportionately impact uh, Black communities and impact um, Indigenous communities, um, and so uh, those that song may not present this like. Um, worry-free kind of I'm just connected with nature point of view right so it is I think a lot of the songs even we I talk about like Negro spirituals or talk about uh some of the gospel music that I have been exposed to right so it it isn't in the um realm of uh we go into the forest and we find ourselves and um you know there's this this return to nature that we we uh uh, want to um rediscover right so you know in the early uh negro spirituals you know there's like aspirations of freedom right there is uh work in the fields um as sharecroppers as slaves right and so there's this like um different relationship with nature that isn't necessarily like i'm 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 out here uh because i'm finding this like freedom or rediscovery so that so yeah i would say that Um, there's a a couple things and there's a racist uh, music industry or the, um, and and also there's this like myth of um, what a a traditional nature relationship should look like and who should be delivering that message, right? Somebody like Marvin Gaye who struggled with addiction and things like that, maybe he doesn't represent that pristine view. Um, Although, you know, maybe some of the, the, the artists that you mentioned um, have similar struggles. But yeah, I would, I would say that is what I think about. Mm-hmm.
0: I think racism in the music industry is at the top of people's minds when they consider why black musicians may not have the same level of mainstream recognition when it comes to musical environmentalism. After all, this is the same music industry that was the intended target of the 2021 Blackout Tuesday event, a call to action for major players across the music industry to reflect on the ways they benefit from or harm Black people in the wake of George Floyd's death. But I want to dive deeper into the myth that guides the nature relationships of Black people and how it impacts their ability to be at the forefront of musical environmentalism.
1: So there, yeah, there is a myth, um, and especially uh, an author like uh, Diane D. Glove, uh, Rooted in Earth um, is a book that she wrote uh, that goes deep into some of the myths and, and, and talks about the idea that Black people have this like lack of empathy or lack of this apathy towards like nature, right? Um, and so, yeah, so that that is one of the myths, um, you know, uh, as working in um, environmental organizations, one of the things that I heard over and over again as a new person entering this space, the question would be, how do we get people of color, how do we get Black people into nature? And that's that myth was repeated, um, or that that question driven by a myth. And the myth is that Black people do not have this relationship with nature. It, it points to some of the things that I said earlier about how we express, or how Black people express the relationship with natural environment, right? Or even how Black people are positioned uh, within that discourse. So at times, uh, like in conservation, um, there can be maybe this empathy for uh, wildlife populations, um, this empathy for, um, you know, spaces, green spaces that are um, not human-centered. There is also, yeah, so I, I say like there's that message, but then there's also this lack of empathy for Black people um, in our environments, right? And so sometimes that can be um, that the message of conservation is not the environmentalism that Black people can relate to. Like that is, would be devoid of um, care for the historical circumstance, right? So um, Black people uh, did not um, necessarily leave nature, um, or had the freedom to say um, we want to just live in these cities, or you know we don't want to be in rural areas anymore. In the case of my grandparents, they were part of the Great Migration, and my parent my 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 grandmother is from Merigold, Mississippi, um, and so. She migrated not because she didn't like to have a relationship with the land, um, but because of racist policies, because of violence, uh, because of lynching, because of uh, more opportunity, uh, potentially for freedom in Chicago. Um, And so I will say that 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 kind of relationship with the land is different than a lot of uh, mainstream conservation, how it presents um, uh, sustainability or presents, presents um, environmental harmony.
0: You're listening to Terra Informa, a production of CJSR 88.5. The topic of this episode is environmentalism in music and the perspectives neglected by mainstream images. In the first half of this episode, you heard my conversation with Rashina Fountain about the lack of mainstream recognitions for black musicians within musical environmentalism. We're diving back into this conversation, but with a focus on two lesser thought genres, hip hop and blues. Yeah, um,
1: I think um, because of the erasure um, and because of um, attitudes in, in uh, mainstream environmentalism like music um, is a good clue and a good um, way to kind of remember Black environmental relationships. And so I would say folk music. I mentioned that earlier, right? And you mentioned people like Bob Dylan, um, Tracy Chapman, you know, uh, is someone. One of my favorite songs of hers uh, is "Rape of the World," um, and that is a song um, that talks about environmental degradation. And I, I would say that majority of the the songs that I've found happen to talk about environmental pollution and and degradation. And I think because if you think about a genre like hip hop right yeah hip hop is was built in urban centers right um and so a lot of the most impacted people for um environmental pollution and um environmental degradation uh would, would happened in those urban centers like um and so i would say that um yeah so yeah so i would say hip hop is is a is a good um glimpse into uh, people talking about the environment. Um, Most Deaf uh, has made songs about the natural world. Um, Who else? Common in the hip hop caucus uh, at the height of the Flint, Michigan. Um, I don't know if that's like, everyone's familiar with that in terms of, um, so United States, uh, Flint, Michigan had a water crisis Uh, where there's a high amount of lead in the water, so high that it was causing like lesions on people's skin. Uh, That's happening right now in Jackson, Mississippi um, as well. But yeah, at the height of that, um, the hip hop artist Common um, came together along with the Hip Hop Caucus uh, and uh, made a song um, that was called Trouble in Our Water right um and it was uh, the video for that was really powerful um and i think that there there is just like a long tradition of activism in general uh, in hip hop right so the beginnings of hip hop were um to voice uh, some of the concerns or or, or social issues uh for people who didn't necessarily have a voice in, in like uh mainstream i know everyone listens to hip hop now right but before um it was a tool and i think that um just like it's a tool to talk about any any issue and artists are um and have been have used it to talk about um environmental degradation
0: so i want to shift away from hip hop maybe towards another genre uh, specifically blues and I chose blues because I think it would be accurate to say that you consider yourself a blues artist if not then a blues guitarist and if you don't mind me asking how did you develop that interest and how do you see um, environmentalism being incorporated into the genre or how do you incorporate it yourself
1: yeah yeah I could talk about the blues um yeah i i um would consider myself a a blues guitarist um as I said, i grew up um in church, and my great grandparents um have a church and uh it used to be on the west side of Chicago, but now it's in a suburb of chicago um and my father plays uh, music and plays, plays guitar. And so, um, I grew up what I thought was just playing, um, gospel music, um, but then I learned that I was also kind of playing the blues because they're, you know, it was like Southern, Southern music. Um, and then I, I, I started to, um, research blues artists and, um, played at a blues club and did a a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but yeah, so I would say that, um, I first got into that practice, um, in the church, but then I, I switched <laughs> up, which is a lot of the story of many blues, um, people, uh, and you know, the devil's music, <laughs> maybe <is laughs> what, what people would say that I, I did. Um, but yeah. Um, and so I would say, um, I'm, I'm drawn to blues because of a lot of, I would say this, the spiritual outlet, um and 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 what i mean by that is um blues for me is um another way of communicating right so it's like access to this um black way of knowing and being that isn't communicated with speech right i mean there are singers who sing it but in terms of guitar playing it's this improv improvisational um improvisational practice Uh, That really comes from feeling, you know, from a feeling that you feel um, within a certain set of notes. And so these feelings, these notes are are, um, from uh, my, my grandmother is from the Mississippi Delta. And so, um, these notes that I'm playing in this way of playing is like, in some ways, a way that I can communicate with the past, right. Can connect with the past that I feel kind of severed from because of displacement and things like that. Um, and so, um, yeah, so blues for me is like, well, how I can like travel. Right to, to the South that, um, I don't necessarily uh, have, have as much access as I used to. Um, and in terms of blues and environment, I think, um, so I use blues, uh, mood. And so blues is a, is a, is actually, it's a, um, it's, you use it in music, but it's also, uh, just like a mood, right? It's like the way that you can communicate, uh, this, uh, kind of sad, um, depressive, uh, or it can be um, a way of communicating like sexuality. Um, there, There's so many. So there's like this blues mood um, in Black tradition. And so um, the way that I use blues um, is I um, use it within my writing to communicate um, environmental relationships. Right. So it's a way that I kind of like um, and, and the way that I, I do that is um, I try to do a lot of improvisation within my writing as well. So, again, I'm trying to um, communicate a way of being in a way of knowing. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I say I use it in my writing um, and especially in trying to communicate um, black environmental relationships or even my relationship because i feel like um kind of what we talked about earlier is this um this complication right with uh the environment um in a lot of spaces for black people right so um as someone being displaced right from africa um but also Um, discontinued displacement that is happening that continues to happen um, and things like that so so when I think about like um, environmental relationships or being close with the land there's this extra element um, an extra history that we have to think about we have to think of you know that that is in my memory or in my family's memory and that is relationship with trees right um south lynching uh that is relationship um yeah with space with with you know having to pick cotton and so I think um blues uh is representative of all of that it's like pretty you hear it um we've been able to take something really painful and turn it into something really pretty um and but it's also this like sorrow that you express Um, that isn't expressed with words Um, and I think that yeah and especially as it relates to the land too Um, it's a lot of blues was created in the Mississippi Delta that is a place of enslavement um, and sharecropping and and a lot of um, violent history and things like that and so I think that that's why I utilize blues in my practice that's why I feel connected to it as well.
0: Yeah, I feel like blues is an under-examined genre when it comes to musical environmentalism, especially because it has like a long history of telling stories about environmental relationships, or even just covering different environmental themes like um, environmental vulnerability or displacement, or just like environmental justice in general, and that's especially true with like its origins tied to the Mississippi Delta, as you mentioned, uh, where flooding dates back kind of decades, if not centuries, and people in the area are um, pretty vulnerable to climate change and its effects. But yeah, but it still remains an under underrated genre. So we're coming close to the end of the interview, but I just wanted to ask if you had any final thoughts to share. Yeah, thank you.
1: Um you know, it's a it's a great like revisiting um black music and looking at um whether that's folk, um funk, blues, hip hop and just like revisiting it um I think is a good way to kind of understand uh Black environmental relationships and um a way to uh see that the myth you know see the myth in that's conveyed in society um that black people have had always had, whether that's like in some ways forcibly um but like like had a had a relationship with nature um and so uh the relationship that is um often pushed into um mainstream society um is definitely not the only way to um have a relationship with the environment
0: yeah so we're at the end of the interview now so i just wanted to ask is there anywhere people can reach you for more information or to engage more with your work
1: yeah um so i need to update my website (laughs) but I'll be doing that in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, RashinaFountain.com um is where I try to link everything that I'm doing. Um, anything that I'm working on. Um, yeah, I will, I will say that RashinaFountain.com uh climate conscious Collabs, um contains some of some of my work. I do have um in the process of getting my my memoir out there. Um so That'll be on RashinaFountain.com.
0: If you would like to engage with more of Rashina's work, she is hosting an online workshop with Tree Song on October 29th called Decolonizing Senses. The registration link is in the show notes. That's all the time we have for this week. I've been your host, Jacinta roy Thank you for listening. Tara Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, and all of our content is created by a team of volunteers. Big shout out this week to Rashina found for the interview. This episode was written and produced by me, Jacinta Roengueza. You can reach us for comment or questions via email, tara at cjsr.com, or message us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Tara Informa. For previous episodes, check out our website, tarainforma.ca. See you next week right here on Terra Informa.